Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hello and welcome to episode number 30 of the Familypreneur podcast. This episode is brought to you by my Facebook mentoring program. It's a big opportunity for entrepreneurs looking to make big things happen with Facebook. This is a 90-day program that will be customized precisely to fit your business needs. At the end of that three-month period, you're going to be equipped and confident to run Facebook ad campaigns that will increase your traffic, leads, and most importantly, generate more revenue for your business. Cha-ching! Due to the level of support I'm providing, this offer is limited and expected to sell out quickly, so act fast. Visit megbrunson.com slash mentor to see if you'd be a good fit. Now let's introduce today's guest. She believes that pursuing our passions and building our dreams while including our children in the process is the best way to build thriving businesses and families. And ultimately, we need to show our children that doing what we love can be financially viable. She's a mother, author, speaker, business strategist, podcaster, blind spot reducer, and movement maker. She launched the Boss Mom brand with her first book, Boss Mom, The Ultimate Guide to Raising a Business and Nurturing Your Family Like a Pro. And she quickly grew to a six-figure business within a year. Now she has over 10,000 students in various courses and is helping women all over the world raise their businesses and babies at the same time. I'm excited to introduce the CEO and founder of Boss Mom, Dana Malstaff. Hi, Dana. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, I am super pumped. I love these topics. I love what your podcast is all about. So I'm in. Let's do it. Awesome. So you have built quite the boss mom empire. You've got books, podcasts, Facebook groups, in-person events, tons of cool things rolling out going forward. I'm really excited to dive into your story, and I'd like to start by taking a step way back and asking you about your childhood. So could you share some information about your childhood and how your parents impacted your career path? Yeah, no, and I love this question because as a parent with a three and a five-year-old, I think about this a lot. And that's part of what I love about like the topic of this podcast, right? And so my parents were, we call ourselves the MacGyver family, which is why buy it if you can build it, was really the mentality. So my dad would like, he had this little uh, sort of chest and we do scavenger hunts a lot, like for all of the holidays for um, like Easter, you didn't get your Easter basket in front, you had to find your Easter basket. Like it was, you know, we had these, you had to use these skills and my mom would draw maps and they would put little prizes and things. And, you know, my, we didn't have a ton of money. So my dad built like this 
little wooden car with a rope from one side of the yard to the other. And he would pull it and you would go to one side and then he'd pull it back and we'd turn around and he'd go to the other side. So from a really young age, we learned about building and about creation and about resourcefulness, which is you use what's around you. Like I remember taking cardboard boxes and my mom can draw. And so she would draw picture frames and different things and they would make a little cardboard you know, house, not even a cardboard house. It would be like, it would just be the walls around it and then the top would be open, but she would, it would look like a house inside in the middle of our living room. And then that's where we would play. So from a really early age, I got that excitement of building something like the excitement of, Ooh, what could we do with this? Which I think really just helps open up that creative brainstorming part, which is why I'm such a brainstormer. And then when my, my parents got divorced when I was five, which was a perfect age for me, and my stepdad is like my hero and truly op- like what I, the thing that I saw from my childhood is that the relationships that you have matter because my mom became my mom in the sense that the personality as an adult, seeing how she was when she was younger and seeing who she is now, I look at her and my dad and I go, oh my gosh, like she would have never blossomed in that relationship. Not because my dad's a bad guy. My dad's an amazing guy, but they just, they didn't fulfill each other and, and sort of ignite in each other the parts of their personalities that are awesome. But my stepdad and her, they do. They both flourish together in the things that are awesome about them they love. And they're both massively creative. So my dad would write a book and we would talk about character plot and we would talk about who did we meet at school that day and tell me a story about them. And we do a lot of wordplay and a lot of games where it was like, okay, well, let's rethink how we would talk about this. And So I do think creativity and brainstorming and resourcefulness were just three massive skills that I learned as a child that I think were so helpful for me, whether I was in a corporate position or, you know, just living my life and paying bills or owning my own business. And then now that I have kids, those are mainly the the things that I'm trying to build for them. So your mom, your dad, and your stepdad, they were all entrepreneurial though, right? They all had their own, they're all self-employed? Uh, no, actually. So my, my real dad owned an auto body shop since I can remember. So he's always had his own business, but he would call himself a business owner. I don't think my dad would ever say he was an entrepreneur. I think he would say, I picked a industry. I, I did it. And he's an artist. So he does airbrushing. He used to, he just retired last year, but he would be in, you know, car magazines and things like that. My stepdad, yes. My stepdad's been an entrepreneur in his own multiple businesses and started businesses, you know, and he's now retired as well. My mom, no, my mom's always had a job. She's done side hustles of writing articles and doing illustration and different things like that. But no, she's always been a nurse and she's always been an IV therapist. So pick lines for anybody who knows nursing is just like a long-term IV. And my mom's, it, it's, they're hard to do. And my mom specializes in it. So yeah, she still works now. She loves what she does. Yeah. So she's always had a job. That's funny. I never really thought about that, but yeah. I like exploring what your parents did and how that potentially impacted you. Do you have a feeling of why you went corporate first? It's so funny. I I honestly don't think I thought about it. I don't think I thought about, um, even though it was, I grew up in a really creative family and everything like that. You just naturally leave college and look at jobs. Like it's, it's just the natural progression. Like you get out of school and you apply for things. And I was a broadcast journalism major. So I was sending out videos to like Lubbock, Texas and like random tiny towns, you know, so that I could go do video news about cats and trees and all that fun stuff that's not exciting when you're starting at the bottom of the ladder from a broadcast journalism perspective. So I think because my head was already in, like if I want to be a newscaster, 
Like that's a job. You don't own your own network right away, right? So I just was in that space. But I always worked for small companies when I decided not to do broadcast journalism. I always worked for small companies. So it always gave me that sense of wearing a lot of different hats. But it still took a mentor at my very last job who came in to do some facilitative work, asked me and a couple other people to help co-facilitate some of this these workshops that he was doing. And then he kind of became my mentor and he was like, yeah, you should own your own business. Like you need to do that sometime soon. And that put the bug in my head. But uh, until then, yeah, I just, you just kind of assume that you should be part of somebody else's thing. And when did that change? So the bug was put in your head by your mentor, but when did you realize that they were right? In my last job, there was a sort of schism between the two people that owned it. They were a married couple that owned it. And so pretty much it was, there became this barrier uh, between the people she'd hired, the people he hired, and just, you know, normal business stuff, actually. Like once you've been in business, you realize partnerships dissolve and business is business and, you know, all those things happen. But I could see the writing on the wall that the people that he had hired were kind of getting, you know, replaced. So I proactively went in and I was like, hey, I can see this. Why don't we put me on a 90-day thing and I will, you know, resign but I want to make sure my team's in place. It gives me time to find a job, that kind of thing. And I'm actually still in contact with that that, that person that was um, that I had that conversation with, which was like they was brought in to be the new COO so, or CMO. So um, I went to go look for a different job. And during those three months, there was only one company that I found that I want to work for. And when I started uh, the interview conversation with them, I basically told my husband at the time, I said, if I don't get this job, I think I just need to start my own job because I, I don't know anybody else I would like want to work for. And it came down to me and one other guy and they called me and they said, gosh, we just, we loved everything about you. We really want you to work here, but we only have one position and this guy has this one piece of experience you don't have. I was like, okay. And that's when something clicked in my head. Oh, if I own my own business, they don't have to hire me as an employee. The I only have enough resources to hire one employee is very different than I need a project. I want a specialist. I'm going to bring in a consultant. And that, for some reason, that interaction just clicked in my brain. Oh, they could work with me if they didn't have to hire me as an employee. And all of a sudden, in my brain went, wow, that's a lot more flexibility and power because people have budgets. They don't always have budgets for the commitment of an employee, but they have budgets to get things done in their business. So if I can be somebody that helps them get things done in their business, they'll make money for me and they'll make that space for me. And so that, that just sort of shifted the way I was thinking about things. So that was your first step into entrepreneurship as you started consulting with other businesses? Kind of. Well, so I decided I was going to not, you know, I was going to start my own business. Everybody took me out on New Year's Eve in what, 2000, going into 2013. and got me drunk and I got pregnant. So that's basically, <laughs> that's basically how that happened. And we had been trying and we hadn't, you know, hadn't had any luck probably because I was working too much. So I, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm starting my own consulting business and I'm pregnant. So obviously things were slow going. But yeah, I basically went in and did, I started out by not doing big consulting projects. I started out by doing like leadership training um, and going into like the Red Cross had a, you know, a group of 10 of their you know, director level leaders, and they had brought me in to do a one day workshop to talk about like facilitating ideas and how to to narrow down what they wanted to do and then help them pull that together. So I was basically brought in to help them come to a decision collectively and then teach them how to embody that kind of brainstorming within their teams. 
So I did that, but then I got really pregnant. I like that. Really pregnant. Not just kind of pregnant. Really pregnant. Yeah. Like that's what happens. You get bigger and you get pregnant and really pregnant. And then, you know, and then it was like, oh, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be a stay at home mom. And that's where the, it just started to get hard where I was like, oh, I want to, I really want to work on this. What's my brand. That's when I started to get into branding. Like, okay, I'm doing these consulting jobs, but am I, you know, I'm not really making a crap ton of money. Am I like, what, what's my, website going to look like, you know, all just the logistical stuff that every single person I work with that go through the same things that I went through, which is the discovery of self. You know, you're like a little kid that's discovering their personality and their voice and what they care about, what they're willing to fight for and all of those things you discover in your business. Like you grow up in your business, just like your business grows up. So I just was trying to figure that out. Yeah. So for the first two years, because I had Jake and then before Jake was one, I was pregnant with Joe. So it was, it was like, we popped out the babies, like, like, let's get this over with. And it wasn't until I was pregnant with Joe that we, we had already moved out to California from Columbus, Ohio, but it wasn't until I was pregnant with Joe that I was given the opportunity to really brainstorm out what boss mom was and then wrote the book while I was half of it, while I was pregnant with Joe and half of it went right after she was born. So it wasn't until two years, two and a half years really into quitting my job, maybe three years uh, from quitting my job that things really started to work. I really love your perspective on work-life balance. So I'd like to talk about that, especially in those three years while you were building your business and going through pregnancy and early stages of childhood. I think as moms, we can all agree that the guilt is real. Like No matter whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a work-at-home mom or a work-out-of-the-house mom, there's so much guilt associated with each of those situations. Could you share a little bit about your perspective with our listeners, like how to find balance or what balance is? Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The guilt is simply there because we're not confident about the decisions we're making, right? Like if you sat there and you like, I I was eating a piece of cake, birthday cake from my dad's birthday before we hopped on, right? I don't feel bad about it because I consciously like ate healthy all day. And then I was like, I'm going to have this piece of cake and, and I'll work out later. And I'm, I don't feel bad about it because I thought about it. I made a decision about it. I'm confident about my decision and therefore I'm confident about my actions. We feel guilty because there's so many ways to raise a kid. There's so many things we could do. There's, you know, for every person that stays at home and quits their job and leaves their career and is like the perfect woman who loves having 18 babies and can't get enough of, you know, kids and is braids their kids hair every day. There's a mom who doesn't want to do those. It's not even that she can't do those. It's like she does not want I do not want to stay home with my kids all day. And for a long time, we think that that makes us bad people, right? And everybody that's listening is on some spectrum, uh, you know, in all different areas from how much time we want to spend with our kids to how much we want to be a kid with our kids or an adult with our kids, if we want our kids to be more like kids or more like adults, if we want to, how, what we want to feed them, how we want to potty train them, all of those things. We all have different views on what we think we should do. And we all have different views on what we want and what makes us happy, right? And we feel bad because we look around and other people do it differently. And I think that's where the guilt comes from is because there is no way to know what's right right? Because even, I mean, let's be honest, diet books, kid raising books, 10 years from now, they're going to change their mind. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to change their mind. Everything our parents did is now wrong. Everybody tells you, don't listen to your parents. You're going to read a bunch of books. And then when our kids are adults, they're going to be like, don't listen to your parents. 
right? It's this thing. So we all feel guilty because we don't know what the right answer is. And the solution is there is no right answer. There are definitely some best practices, like don't hit your kids, don't put them in closets, feed them, <laughs> you know, and I, and I love them. Like, to, like Brene Brown did the talk that says the number one thing that makes people successful is to feel like you are worthy of love, right? So in my opinion, if the only two things you do for your kids is teach them to feel worthy of being loved, not just to love them, but to make them feel worthy of being loved and to help them to be resilient then your kids can do anything. And, it, and all the rest of the stuff is just semantics. It's just, it's just a preference of how you want to do things. And so the guilt starts to go away when you stop worrying about what's right. And you start just recognizing that the happier you are and the more connected you are to what you want and what you're doing and what you care about and what you care about teaching your children then the easier it is to not feel guilty about what you're doing every day because it's about the decision. So if you go, you know what? I have to go off to this conference and I'm going to be gone for three days. You don't feel bad about it because your kids are going to survive without you for three days. Like they're going to leave you when they're 18. They're going to survive without you for a lot more than three days in a row. So they're going to be okay, but we feel bad about it. But if you go, no, because this is going to fulfill me. It's going to fill my cup up. It's going to make me happy. It's going to help me come back and have tools I can give them with the knowledge I have, like, no, I'm not going to play with you right now because mom needs to clean. And if the kitchen's massively dirty, or if I don't get to read this book, you know, the 50 shades gray book that I'm reading, (laughs) mama's not going to be in a happy place. And mom's not a nice mom when she's not in a happy place. So I think guilt goes away when we start being confident in our decisions and recognizing that everybody's truth is true. Like everybody's truth is right. And looking out at other people's truths and not getting it, not understanding it and making that question whether or not what you're doing is right or wrong doesn't help anybody. It just causes us to feel bad about ourselves and it's an unnecessary feeling. Wow. That was great. <laughs> you get me on my rants. <laughs> like, I can't help myself. I've got nothing to follow that up with. We're done. <laughs> that was just, that was amazing. And I, I feel like there's so much truth in that. And that's the thing. I, I mean, here's one of the stories that I think really like clicked for me. It was even after I started Boss Mom and written the book and we have the community. I couldn't potty train my son. It was a nightmare. Like not even just potty train. Like he wouldn't go to the bathroom for a week at a time. It was the most traumatizing thing I've ever gone through. And my brother, his son was a year younger than Jake, was already potty trained. And he sent me an ebook and said, oh, just follow this. This worked beautifully for us. And one of the first lines in the book said, if you say that your kid's just not ready, then you're not a dedicated enough parent. And I was like, well, I'm going to burn this book. I was like, you obviously don't live in my household. Like you have no idea. And, I, and it dawned on me that just because she wrote a book, just because something was out there, just because my brother who's even family had a different situation than me, doesn't mean that they live in my home, know who I am. And doesn't mean that my son's their son. Doesn't mean I'm my brother. None of those things. Like all the, situ- all the little parts that make up our lives are all different. And it dawned on me that, wow, it doesn't mean that this woman is bad. It doesn't mean her book is bad. And it does not mean that her book isn't helpful. It's just not helpful for me. It was so super helpful for my brother. So I went online and I did what you're supposed to do, which is I went online and I said, who else has had a really crappy time potty training their children? And a whole slew of women said, my son wasn't potty trained till five. Like we had to give suppositories every night for a month. It was horrifying. And I went, oh, good. You're my people. 
what did you do to solve the problem, right? So I went and found the people that actually understand what I'm going through who have the most similar situation. So instead of feeling bad that what my brother did, even because he was close to me and I love him, was born out of, you know, wanting to help me, was unhelpful. Instead of getting mad about that or feeling bad or trying to make it work, I put it aside and said, I'm going to go to the people who get me and I'm going to listen to them and then we're going to solve that problem together. And, And that camaraderie is so important and that helps get the guilt away because it it is that same thing. Like we all have different lives and we all have little things that are similar. So the same women that helped me potty train my son are not necessarily the same women that helped me when Joe's not eating, you know, the food I want her to eat. That, That might be a completely different group of people because we start to recognize that the people that are our people are situational. Mm. right? The women, and we call it your circle of understanding in the Confessions of a Boss Mom book. And what we do is we go to our mom and we go, mom, I've got this business idea. I'm going to do this and this and this. What do you think? And your mom loves you. So she wants to give you an answer, but she has no idea what you're talking about. So she gives you an answer that makes you feel bad. She feels bad because she doesn't know how to give you the right answer. And everybody feels bad. And you go off wondering, should you start a business? But if you went to the people who actually understand, you go to the Boss Mom community and you say, this is my idea. It's a whole different answer. And I think that's, that's the thing is when we start to recognize our circles of understanding, then we can go, wow, everybody's different. And I'm not going to rely on one person or one group of people for all of my answers. I'm going to think about what I need, think about what decision I need to make and who I need to help me make a good decision that will also come from a place of understanding from where I'm at. And I'm going to reach out to those people and for that situation. And you just have to go by it situation after situation. And that's, I mean, it makes all of the difference. And that's why we've, how we've structured Boss Mom. So that becomes a place where you can find those people in those different situations. And you're referring to the Boss Mom Facebook group, right? Yes. Yeah. That's our most vibrant. It's like its own ecosystem. Like people hire and, you know, each other and work for each other and, you know, become friends and all sorts of crazy stuff happens in that group. I've met a lot of friends in that group. It's like a little bubble. It's like a little bubble of Boss Mom happiness. Now, are Facebook groups a place that you found some of your circles? Yeah. Yeah. So before Boss Mom was born, I would go into Facebook groups and I would ask questions and I would ask for help and I would connect. And the Savvy Business Owners was one of the first ones that I had connected with. I actually, Heather Crabtree, who started that group, was good friends with one of my friends. They had gone to school together. And so that's how I got introduced to that group. That was really my foyer into into Facebook groups was by a friend recommendation, which is how a lot of times it happens. Um, and then I got in and then of course I got sucked into the Facebook social media vortex and I've never, I've never seen the light ever since. And you've never come back out. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm going to transition into my Facebook group. So I have a Facebook community and one of my community members actually posed a question that she had for you. Ooh, oh, I love these. Yeah. Fire away. I know that you're a big Trello user, at least right now in your business, but her question, Alina, by the way, is before you had any employees, when it was just you kind of doing everything, how did you keep track of what needed to be done? Did you use a to-do list? Was it paper, on the phone, computer? And how did you prioritize the tasks for growing your business? Oh my God, it was so terribly not correct. (laughs) Even if it's bad, sometimes it's good to share because we all make mistakes, you know? When it wasn't bad, it wasn't bad because it got stuff done. Like I've had people who tell me, Dan, I go in to use the Trello training and I'm, I don't know, I'm confused. Like I use paper, like use whatever is going to work. The problem is like, don't get yourself stuck in the project planning. Just do things, do one thing. 
do one thing, do one thing, do one thing. And all of a sudden things are done. Like if you live in the planning, you're never an action taker. And only action takers are the ones that actually are successful and make money. I would literally fold pieces of paper in half. I don't know why I didn't like full sheets of paper. I liked half sheets of paper. (laughs) I would fold them in half and I would write notes on the front and the back during the day. And I just had a tagging system. So I would, squares are things that need to be, act, you know, were action taken, taken. Like triangles were just notes for future things to think about, you know. And so I would, I would have like a little legend that I would use. And at the end of the day, I would take like the 18 pieces of paper I had with from like, you know, conversations and coffee chats or like watching that webinar, doing whatever I take because each one would have its own sheet of paper. At the end of the day, I would take all of those things and I would consolidate it onto one folded sheet of paper (laughs) that that told me what my priorities were and like where I wanted to fit those things in. Um, And I didn't really use anything online, to be honest. I used like my Google calendar to put things in Google. But before I found Trello, I had tried Asana, I tried Bootcamp, you know, and those work for some people. Actually, the guys who who created Bootcamp wrote a book called Rework, which was one of my favorite books. Don't use their program though. <laughs> and yeah, and I just, I mean, here's the thing. Don't stick with something that doesn't work. Just keep trying things until things work. Like I've literally gone through 18 different planners mm-hmm. to find a system that works for me. And I don't feel bad about it. I try it. And if it doesn't work, like if I'm not, I, I believe in like business feng shui which is like you would in your home. Like if it's not easy to put it where it's supposed to be, then that's not where it's supposed to be. Like if it doesn't naturally lend itself to go there and you're, you're, everything's messy because it just, it feels uncomfortable and unnatural to put things where you have things placed, move your house around, move things around. It's the same thing in your business, just move stuff around. So even with Trello, when we started doing Trello, the way I used to use Trello isn't even remotely how I use it now. But the training for people starting, it, we don't change it. And very specifically, because if I tried to teach you how I use Trello now, your like head would explode because <laughs> it's taken me two to three years of using it to really dig into like the nitty gritty of how I'm using it. Like you guys have to go through that same journey with whatever your process is. I will say if the only thing you do is at the end of the day, take stock in what's happened that day and pull out the top three things that are actually useful for you that you're going to use. Like, don't just think you'll go back to notes and go back to notes. Like, put those notes aside, take the three main things, put little squares next to things you actually have to take action to, and then prioritize those things. Think about everything as being part of a project. So don't just have a rogue checklist. Say, okay, I've got 10 things on this list of things I was thinking. Where do they all go? And like, how can I assign them to something bigger? And then you prioritize that project list. And you say, okay, I'm going to tackle one project at a time or these three projects in tandem, depending on what it is you're doing, right? So that every day you're reassessing and then every day you're just figuring out what's not working and getting better. Oh, you know what? I should fold my paper this way. Or you know what? I'm going to test out this online tool for two weeks and see if we can get it to work. Oh, it's working. Awesome. It's not working. Okay. Let me try something else. Until you, until you get something that works. I mean, it's honestly how entrepreneurs do it. They're, they're like little scientific explorers out just testing variables all day long. So you organize your tasks into projects. And then how do you tackle projects? Do you do like one project a day? Or do you block your days off to tackle multiple projects in each day? Oh, this is also ever-changing for me. It depends on what my mood is. <laughs> I'm... um. I'm what you call a go west person. And this is it. This is the thing I will tell everybody listening. Get to know yourself. Get to know what you're good at, what you're bad at. Don't try and make yourself something you're not. That's the reason why people employ other people, right? 
So I'm a go west person, which means I know the strategy. I know why we want to do it. I know how we want to do it. I know how we're going to go west, but I don't want to pick out what wagon we're going to ride. I don't want to care what can of beans we use. I don't even need to know exactly like where the blankets came from or the, you know, like those kinds of things. I, I don't want to live in that space and what I will avoid living in that space, right? So if anybody's listening is like, oh yeah, there's those things I totally know would make me money, but I avoid doing them. Same thing. So I have an operations director and she's my project manager. So I tell her every week, this is what I want to do. I want to do this webinar. I'm going to do this thing. Like we're going to launch the Boss Dad podcast. We're going to do minis over here and over there. And then I literally verbally tell her, this is how it needs to be done. This is the strategy. She puts it into a project plan and she comes back to me and says, okay, you've got too many projects. There's too much, right? So before, in the beginning, I used to have to try and assess that for myself. I go, okay, I can only handle one or two things. And you know that by when you run out of time. She knows because I've hired her and the business is big enough now that we can manage multiple projects. We've got six or seven things going on at once, you know, but I got a team of eight people. And so we can, we can handle a lot more. In the beginning, I would say two projects max, you know, like don't do more than two things at once. I, it's, I think it's silly. I think it's silly to say that we all we're going to just do one project because I don't think that's how online business works. Like if you're building your opt-in to get people on your email list, you need to also be building buzz and visibility. Like visibility is always is always a part of what you have. So you have your we call them performance metrics and outcome metrics. So in your business, your performance metrics are the things that you have control over. The amount of people you reach out to, the amount of podcasts you pitch, right? The amount of time you spend writing your book, like you write a thousand words a day or you record three episodes a day or whatever that is. The the performance metrics, you want to figure out what do you need to do in your business to help you reach your goals? How many people do you need to contact? How many things do you need to record? How many blog posts do you need to write? Whatever that is. The outcome metrics are the things that you want. I want 10 people to join my program. I want 100,000 people to listen to my podcast. I want whatever that is. So all your performance metrics every single week, you should have performance metrics that you're looking at and going, what am I doing to actually reach the goals, the outcome goals that I want, right? And those things you can measure. So those aren't a project, really. You know what I mean? They're kind of part of bigger projects, but for the most part, those are the things that just help you ensure you're being visible, creating buzz, getting sales, all those things, building content in your business. So it's, it's not like business isn't linear. I mean, that's the thing. People tell me, Dana, just tell me what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. And I'm like, well, I kind of have to know a little bit more about you to, to be able to give you that information. And I get that a lot too. My wheelhouse is marketing. Mm-hmm. And people will just say to me, well, what kind of ad should I run? Well, it's going to depend upon your business, <laughs> what your goals are, what you've done. Well, and even then, you know, you are going to test out pictures and test out videos and test out content. And sometimes one thing they market is going to work with the hero's journey. And sometimes, you know, which for is basically like the story version. And then something's going to work with a one-liner and something's going to work better with a picture and something's going to work better with a video. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, like when I said entrepreneurialism was all about testing and tweaking, I mean, that, that will never change. That's always the case. We're all about figuring out what works and you have to do stuff in order to find out what works. Always be testing. Mm-hmm. To go back to your family for a minute, you semi-recently announced that you're going through a divorce. Yes. Like with any major life changes, it can cause ripples in the way that you manage your business as well as your family. Mm-hmm. And you, in your group, like you went live to announce it. I know you had some fear over how that would impact your community. Mm-hmm. Can you share some insight into what that transition looked like and also any tips for parent entrepreneurs who may be going through the divorce process as well? Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple things. One, 
I run a brand that is family centric, right? Although I never, I mean, my husband wasn't really, uh, he was never really a part of the brand. He was never really visible. He didn't want to be. And, and so it wasn't like him and I ran a business. I, it was always my business. But, you know, that was my hesitation. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I have this business and now I'm getting separated. Like, is anybody going to still want to follow boss mom? If, you know, and everybody came back and they're like, you're not boss wife. You're not, you know, you're boss. It's a, it's a different thing. Here, here's the thing though. The biggest question I get is like, did my business cause the divorce? And the answer is yes and no. This is the big warning I will give anybody, whether you're single, happily married, you know, young, old, whatever, have parent, not a parent, whatever it is. Having your own business is a bit of a self-discovery, right? Um, being your own boss, making decisions about what you want and what you don't want, what you're, you know, where you want to spend your time, how flexible you want to be. Those are big decisions and under and deciding who you want to hang out with, what your brand is, all that kind of stuff. It's it is a lot like self-care. You won't think it because you're going to be exhausted and you're going to feel you know, scared and alone and all, all the emotions, but it's a journey that you take. And, and anybody who owns their own business will begin to know themselves so much better because you're forced to, right? And because it's like creating a baby from scratch that you get to create, right? And decide what it looks like and how it feels and, and all, and you have to live with it. So, you know. That can do two things. One, it can either make you realize what you have is exactly what you want. It can make you, well, three things. It can make you realize what you have used to be what you wanted, but it needs some work, right? And that can be in your your like romantic life, your personal life, your parenting life, whatever that is. Um, or it can make you realize that you're a different person and the things that you guys want aren't the same things. So my business absolutely caused my divorce in the sense that it helped me uncover and really embrace who I am and what I want and what I care about. And then when my husband and I came together and we're like, wow, I just, is, we're not the same anymore. You know, it was a catalyst that kind of made me a different person and, and we're not really aligned anymore. It did not cause my divorce because I worked too much or those kinds of things. Like that's not what it was about. And we have a very amicable separation. I think the big thing for me is, you know, respect. Like it's important for me that my kids, we talk about, make presents for their dad. I talk about it like, oh, we miss him. You know, let's call him. Let's like, I want them to know, like I, not everybody's in this situation. Like he's a great dad. He's a, he's an awesome dad. That was never the problem. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we just didn't meet in this, in this place we need to. So for anybody who's starting your own business, make sure that as you're going through the journey of starting your own business, just continually reassess, like go to counseling, even if you don't need it, because you are going through a journey of self-discovery through a bunch of wilderness. And you need to make sure that one of my favorite quotes is love is not looking at each other. It's looking in the same direction. Make sure that you don't look at your business and go, it's mine. I'm going to go hang out in the boss mom community or your community or anywhere else. And I'm going to find my people that know me. And I'm going to share all my exciting business mompreneur things with those people and leave your husband behind. And then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and realize you're not looking in the same direction. You're not looking at each other either, (laughs) right? (laughs) Recognize that you're on that journey, whether you want to admit it or not, and be proactive about it. I honestly think that it wouldn't have, I mean, we went to counseling, so I don't think it would have made the difference because I think it just, we discovered we're different people um, and our love languages are very different and kind of exhausting for each other. 
but I think there's a ton of women that came back to me that were like, wow, like you made me realize a few things. And I'm stepping back from all the women that I share everything with because I'm not sharing any of that with my husband. Like he wants to be involved in the things that are happening in my life. And I'm not even giving him that ability because I'm sharing them with the people that quote unquote get me. You know, where your husband wants to get you too. And your, you know, and your wife wants to get you and like all it's, you know, we all want to connect with each other. So make sure you're giving each other that chance. Now, is he involved in the boss dad brand? No, not at all. He's a commercial banker. He's involved in nothing entrepreneurial whatsoever. Um, That's a really good place for him. It makes sense for him. And he's great at it. No, he's not. He's not part of the boss dad um, thing at all. Boss dad is the fact that I uh, have a ton of dads, especially like husbands of boss moms that were like, where's our thing? Where's our resource? And then I was like, oh, well, we'll make boss dad. And for two years, we've had the, the brand and the logo and everything. We sell mugs, but we don't have anything. And so we're launching the podcast. It's just one season, 24 episodes. And we're going to see how it goes. We can have a resource for them. And we actually have this amazing sponsor for the whole season. It's called the Front Row Foundation. And they have the Front Row Dads Retreat. Um, And so they do retreats for dads. Um, And it's run by one of my good friends, John Roman. And we were talking about it. He's like, I need to sponsor your whole thing. And then now you have a place to, to send guys. And I was like, yes all the yeses. So I'm just, a, I'm just a conduit to help men and women alike. I love that. My husband is in the stay-at-home dad role. Mm-hmm. And now he's starting to take a similar entrepreneurial path. But I feel like he'd resonate with that group, with like a boss dad group, because he identifies as a dad first. Yeah. And everybody we've asked to come on to the podcast is like, oh, that sounds like so much fun. I never get to talk about the dad part. You know, and and how that integrates with how they're, you know, like we're having the conversation now about how are we teaching our kids to be entrepreneurs and, you know, what did your childhood, how do you think that made you who you are, those kinds of things. Like the guys are loving answering those questions. It's too much fun. I can imagine. I've had a, a handful of dads on the podcast, but it's been mostly women. I think women are drawn to family a little easier. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? There was a video online where a woman, she does kind of funny videos. Yeah. And she she asked the dad, like, so how do you manage work-life balance? And they were like, I don't understand the question. Yeah. It's like, I had never thought about that, but you're so right. And what's funny too is we live in our bubbles. Like people tell me all the time, Danny, you live in your bubble. And when I look at it, most of my books that I read are written by women. And then I'll, I'll talk to my guy friends. And I'm like, when's the last time you wrote a book or that was uh, written by a woman? And they'll be like, hmm, interesting. And it's, it's interesting. We, we like naturally just gravitate towards who we are. I mean, makes sense. We naturally just gravitate towards the thing that looks and feels most like us. Right. And it's just funny. So I, I love the idea too, though, that, you know, we're not in it alone. Like it took more than you to make your baby in most cases. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I don't think, I think there's a lot of us talking about women and how powerful and wonderful we are. And men are the same. Men are just as awesome. They're just in different ways. And, you know, the whole idea of like happy wife, happy life. I don't like that phrase. You know, I think if you want a happy life, then it takes everybody trying to make each other happy. I think it takes everybody giving and connecting and compromising and communicating and continually growing together to make it happy. So the second we believe that we did all this work and that it's, you know, everybody should worship us for how amazing and multitasking we are, I think we take away the beauty in the relationships that we could have with people and how much men love us and want to care with us and be a part of what we're doing. And there's some amazing guys out there. Like your, your husband's staying at home while you're out 
being an entrepreneur and doing things. You know what I mean? Like there's some amazing guys out there and I just want to make sure we're not, I'm not creating the boss mom bubble that's an empire that implies that men are not important because I think everybody's important. As important as they'll let themselves be and as important as they're willing to contribute into society, I think all of those people should be recognized. I can't wait for the podcast to launch and to see how it all plays out. Oh yeah, the interviews so far have been super good. So I'm pumped. Awesome. So since you mentioned kids, I know your kids are still kind of young, but are they involved in your business at all or have they exhibited any entrepreneurial qualities? Yeah, yeah. So they're relatively young, three and five, but yes, we do videos and stuff, nothing that goes out into public really, but um, they'll record things. They'll help do reports and, you know, write letters, thank you letters and things that are, you know, gibberish and stuff like that. Part of the main thing that I'm teaching them right now is creativity and problem solving. That's the main skill. They see me work though, and I want them to. So I have reading time and they can choose to read or not read, you know, when I'm around, but I'm not going to read to you. Mommy's reading. And oh, yep, mommy's got to do work. And Jake even, my son even knows, you know, he goes, okay, mom, I'm going off to work. He goes, mom, I'm moving to Disneyland. This is the other day. I said, oh, okay. And I said, you're going to move there. And he goes, yep, I'm going to live in Disneyland. And he walks over to the stairway and I was like, where are you? And he's like, I'm at Disneyland. And I was like, okay. And I said, well, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to ride all the rides. I was like, well, Jake, if you're going to live there, you're going to have to make money. So what do we need to do? And he's like, I need to, I need to have a job. I was like, jobs do help you make money. What would you like to do? Because we should always try to find work that we love. And he's like, mm, you know what? I love hot dogs. I think I'll make hot dogs for everybody. And I was like, okay, what are we going to charge for these hot dogs? And he was like, $1.68. And I was like, okay, that's a good idea. What, how are we going to? And we just walked down the line of, you know, in fun play mode, but we walked down the line of what is work? How do we find things that we love? Like, what could we create? How do we solve problems? And so I approach play in a creative entrepreneurial problem solving way. And I think that's a good first step for me and letting them see me work and let them remind them that I love what I'm doing. And work is not something that takes me away from them, but it's something that helps enhance our relationship and my happiness and their happiness and stuff like that. So I'm sure that will alter and change as they get older, but that's what we do for now. I love it. It, I try to keep an open door policy. I mean, I close the door when I'm recording podcasts and things like that because we we don't want that in the background. Like that gentleman who was doing the news broadcast. I know the poor guy. We don't want that. But um, I try to keep the door open and let the kids get involved. And my oldest daughter is 10. And she actually just accompanied me on her first marketing conference. Mm. She went with me to a three-day marketing conference in LA and sat through all three days, all the presentations. I still have some of the notes she took. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. I love it. And I mean, she did some doodling and she ate a lot of snacks. That sounds like (laughs) how I conference. (laughs) But I was so proud of her for not only wanting to go, but showing up. Oh, 100%. My real dad, he, in the summers, people would go off to camp and I would go stay with my dad for the summer. And he made me a desk that had my name airbrushed on the front. It was purple, very boss mommy. And I was his office manager at like 10 years old. And I would carry around a clip and walk behind him and do estimates and would help like take phone calls and file bills and stuff like that. And some of my favorite memories are of being there. Like you think you're imposing upon your kids to have them help you do things. There is nothing your kids want more. Now, when they're teenagers, it might be a different thing. <laughs> but there's nothing your kids want more than to be a part of what you're doing. Yeah, they love it. Let them be a part of it. And the more you shut them out from cooking and cleaning and doing all the things that you don't want to do, you know, even and along with the things you do want to do, the more that you shut them out, the harder it is and more frustrated you get because they, you know, act out. 
let them be involved. That's what they want. They just want to be a part of your life. So let them be a part of all of your life. In 2017, you published a podcast for storytellers called Make Me Care with your stepfather. I did. Can you share some information about how that podcast came to be? I'd really love to hear how it kind of came full circle. Yeah. So, you know, my dad's like my hero. I love it. And he's got such good stories. He's, you know, writes books and everything and was in the midst of, you know, writing a book at the time. And so I told him, I was like, we need to start a podcast. Like this would be so much fun. And in a way it was a, something for me to help like connect us. Um, but also like, oh, I'm going to pull him into this online world. So he has more ability to market himself and all these kinds of things. I'm going to get him into blogging. Not, it's not so easy, by the way, to get your parents to do those things. <laughs> and we had a lot of fun. It's just brainstorming the title and coming up with the cover and doing all those things. It was a, it was a lot of fun. And when we started, and it was a little bit challenging to do to get us together, even though you'd like you'd think it would be easy, but it uh, was not. It was a total pain in the butt. But his dad passed away, so my step grandpa passed away, like four episodes in, and we were gonna do more, and then it kind of got pushed out. And then my aunt got cancer and came to live with us, and then we had the retreat, and then we moved houses, and then my husband and I got separated, and just. You know, we said, oh, we're going to go back to it. We're going to go back to it. And we both just said, you know what? Let's just hang out <laughs> and not worry about the podcast. So maybe it'll come back at some point. But I love it. I love that it was a project we did together. I love that we tested it out and had, and the conversations were great. Like if we wanted to do something again, or I just wanted to bring him on the boss dad or boss mom podcast sometime, I could. And he got to see a little bit of my world. And so it was a blast. So I would tell people like, just try things. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And that's what I loved was the whole concept that he kind of introduced entrepreneurship to you as a kid. Yes. And then you developed in your own way and then brought it full circle by bringing him into your version of entrepreneurship. Yes. And, and they don't, you know, they even say they, they're so proud of me. And sometimes they have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I get the same thing from my family. So you've given us a ton of amazing advice and, and tidbits. I'm just wondering if you have your number one piece of advice for parent entrepreneurs, if there's anything you haven't shared. Oh, goodness. I mean, the biggest thing is you're not an island. Doing all the things is not uh, badge worthy. Hustling until you, you know, you've big bags under your eyes and, and having busy be the number one word you use is not helpful to anybody. Get support and help. Give yourself space. Find somebody to give you permission to do less because we have so many ideas and we're going to doing 18 billion things all at once. I find that every year in my business, I end up cutting things and saying no to more so that I can say yes to the really great things and test things out and stop doing things that don't work and do more of the things that do so. But you can't do that if you're by yourself and you can't do it if you're trying to do everything. And so like find the community that fits with you, like find an accountability partner or coach, you know, find a mastermind or something like that, like take some courses, like get the support and the permission you need to do what really actually matters and then continually change it until it actually, you wake up every morning and you're excited to get up and do everything you need to do. Great. Thank you so much. And I know we're, we're kind of at the end of the show. So I just want to wrap things up. Where can our listeners learn more about you? Yeah. So boss-mom.com is the easiest place. That'll lead you to our Facebook group and our podcast and free resources and events and all the awesome sauce stuff. Thank you so much, Dana. This has been a real treat and I cannot wait to share this with our listeners. Yeah, this has been a blast. Thanks for having me. 
You'll find all of the show notes and the links mentioned in this week's episode at megbrunson.com slash 30. Last week, we met Dr. Ashley Bandywad, the founder of STEMChef. She holds a PhD in engineering from Dartmouth, as well as a master's in biotechnology from Germany and a bachelor's in engineering she obtained while in India. Previously, she dedicated a decade of her life working on renewable energy before she took it upon herself to reimagine education by launching STEM Chef for the benefit of our future generations. It's a really great episode that talks about not only her transition and her pivot in her career, but also ways that we can educate our kids by doing things that we do with them every day. Next week, we'll welcome Becky Mollenkamp. She's the creator of the Own It, Crush It movement. With nearly 15 years of experience as a business owner, she helps women navigate the mindset and tactical struggles of self-employment. Through her courses, exclusive membership community, and group program, Becky has mentored hundreds of women to own and crush their boss status. And I gotta tell you, it was like its own mini coaching session when I interviewed her, this is going to be an episode that you're going to walk away with a ton of value from. Subscribe today so that you don't miss it, and I will see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Did you know that my mom has a Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, and more? Her username is The Meg Brunson just about everywhere. You should go follow her.